as you guys know, we've been on this series on Advent, and it's been amazing because I've got to sit back and relax and uh, see some good preachers share the word on what Advent is about. Um, we had Jeremiah and Devlin share about Advent, and as many of you guys might know, as we, as we even step into, uh, as Christmas is about to come, uh, we, we, we're getting busy, we're getting uh, pummeled with all the things that we, we're doing, but this season of Advent is actually a time for us to wait, to relax, to, to uh, 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 wait in anticipation for what God is going to do in our lives. Um, uh, when, when I think of Advent, I think of the song of our generation by the, 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 the best band in all of uh, eternity, U2. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but they're, they're pretty cool. But one of their songs, one of their titles says this, I'm, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I think that song speaks to so many of us, because I think we are searching, we are longing. We are, cre- we are human beings created in the image of God, and inherent within us is the search for meaning, for purpose, is the longing for something more. Is there more to this life? And we search and we search, but we still haven't found what we're looking for. I like that song. That's my karaoke song. But I think this, this season of Advent actually speaks so clearly to that longing. It speaks so poignantly to our longing. Have you, I don't know, if, I'm sure parents, you know this. Have you ever um, been around a thirsty kid, right? They come up to you, I'm thirsty. And then you offer them water. But then they say, no, I want juice. And you're like, no, water is going to quench your thirst. No, I want juice. Some of you adults are like that, actually. <laughs> you should be drinking water, but you're drinking juice. I want juice. And then you give them the juice, and you find that it still doesn't quench their thirst. This is like the longing we have. We are searching. We're searching for meaning and for purpose. And yet, what we find ourselves doing time and time again is drinking that juice, putting our misplaced hope in things that would not actually satisfy us. Here's what God is saying to us during this season of Advent. God is speaking to our longings. God is answering us and he's telling us, no, there is, yes, there is a purpose and meaning to this life. And that meaning, that purpose can be found in these three words that we see in the text we read earlier. It's God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So today, even as we explore what that means, we'll look at that. What does that mean for us? How does that really fulfill our longings? Um, and, and, and what does that actually mean? And here are the three things I want to talk about as we go through that. Is that the Spirit is at work in a scandalous way in order to bring salvation to us. The Spirit is at work in a scandalous way, in a way we don't expect in order to bring salvation. Let's look at the first thing. The Spirit is at work. Matthew, uh, who is the the writer of the passage we we read earlier today during our Advent reading, 
Matthew is one of the followers of Jesus Christ, right? He was one of the witnesses to of the resurrection of Jesus. And, and he is writing this text, this passage, and he's telling us that, listen, the, 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 the conception of Jesus, the coming of God into our world was made possible through the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying that God's handiwork, that, that God's handiwork in our lives is this cosmic intersection between the divine and the physical. That through the Holy Spirit, the divine has come into our world. Matthew writes this twice. He reiterates again, like the Holy Spirit was the one who conceived what was in this woman. This is actually reminiscent of uh, another passage um, in, in the Bible, a famous passage, the creation narrative. And if you know anything about it, it talks about the Holy Spirit moving all across the world um, seeing the world that, in, that is formless, that is void. And the Holy Spirit then is, becomes this creative engine through which the world comes in into existence. And that's what Matthew is saying even now, that, that the Holy Spirit is the creative force through which Jesus enters our world. Means that the invisible work of the Spirit is made visible through the coming of Jesus. This is huge. It's a big deal. Because Matthew is also telling us that what has happened through Jesus did not happen because of human intervention. It did not happen because Matthew or, or I mean Mary or Joseph were like amazing, righteous people. It actually happened because of a divine encounter. But the Holy Spirit made this possible. The invisible qualities of God are now made visible through Jesus. The Spirit at work is an indication that God is with us. God is with us. But, you know, there's one thing that bothers me about this passage. Like, this is beautiful that the Holy Spirit has come. This is great that the Holy Spirit has made visible the invisible qualities of God through Jesus. This is awesome. This is beautiful. But there's something that bothers me. Is that even as I read this passage, as we see in this passage, is that God seems to work in a way that oftentimes is disruptive, humiliating, Embarrassing and scandalous. God interrupted the lives of Mary and Joseph in a way that was quite uncomfortable. And I would probably say just annoying. Because this, this is what happened, right? Mary's pledged to Joseph, meaning they're, they're engaged. And in that culture, being pledged, being engaged, is almost like being married, right? It's, it's something you just can't. It's, it's very difficult to just annul. Um, but Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. Right? You, some of you probably know the story. Joseph find, finds out that Mary was pregnant. Wait, we're about to get married, and she's pregnant. So, of course, you know what he's thinking in his mind. He, she cheated on, on me. Right? That's what he's probably thinking. She cheated on me. So J- Joseph being the, you know, kind of the fixer, upper type guy because, you know, he was a carpenter. You know, he's, he's got to get everything done, fixed. He, he decides, I'm going to let this go. But, you know, I'm just going to do it quietly because he's a good guy. 
He doesn't want to bring disgrace to Mary or to the family. He does it quietly. But then he encounters an angel. And this angel tells him, no, no, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to change it. Instead, you have to embrace this. Embrace this embarrassment. Embrace this scandal because through this, God is coming into our world. Through this, God is with us. I mean, can you imagine for a second if that were any one of us? And God tells us, oh no, embrace this humiliation because I'm actually at work. Embrace this disappointment. Embrace this embarrassment because I am at work. You know, um, you know, it's been like over a year since we started this church. And I don't know if I've shared this, but um, last year before we actually launched our service, one of the things that we did as a team is, we, well, we had a core team that would meet every Sunday. And uh, every Sunday we'll come to, you know, either this location or we're meeting in a different location. And we'll come and we'll talk about, hey, what do we want our church to be like? And, you know, it's great. We're vision casting. We're thinking about the future. But a lot of times when I came into that meeting, I came, I, I was pretty anxious. I was pretty like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if this, if this is going to work out. I don't think I'm good enough to plant this church. I'm, I'm not the right person for this job. God, you need to find somebody else. And every Sunday, every week, I'll come in just anxious. And then one Sunday, I think in June, I actually had a panic attack at home before the meeting. Like, I froze. And I don't know if any of you have had a panic attack before. It's just like you freeze, this pain in your chest just comes, and you're like, oh, my God. I'm like, like this is how I feel, literally. My body just like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. So the narrative I hear in my head is, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm incapable. I'm not competent enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good-looking enough. <laughs> Whatever. All these narratives that I hear in my head. And that day, I, I mean, Caitlin walks in, and she's like, Craig, Craig, wake up, wake up. I, I, I can't move. And I think 10 minutes before I, before I had to leave, I, I, I snapped out of it. And the entire time I'm thinking, well, this meeting is going to suck. Um, because, yeah, I have nothing ready. I'm not even prepared. But when I came into that meeting, it was probably one of the best meetings we've had. Everyone was excited. Everyone was like, wow, this is going to work. <laughs> Maybe this will work. And I left the meeting like, what in the world? Like, <laughs> I just had this massive panic attack that I've never had in my life, and then I'm leaving this meeting feeling energized. Like, it made no sense at all. And I've realized that, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's what it is, is that it's not dependent on what I can do and how I can fix things. It's not dependent on me, but it's actually dependent on what God is doing. That the Spirit is at work, even going before me to clear the way, to prepare the way for what he's doing in my life. I think that the same can be true about you as well, that you, we all go through our shame, we all go through our disappointments, we all go through our heartaches. 
Maybe you have your anxiety that you have to deal with at work, the feeling that you're not good enough, that you're not capable. And then you have to fake it till you make it, and you, know, you deal with the imposter syndrome. I think God is coming to us, even through this story, and he's telling us that, no, I'm actually at work in your life, in your disappointments, in your shame, in your anxiety, in your embarrassments. He is at work. But I think we often have a hard time believing that, right? Because up front, you know, when it's like, well, I'm feeling this way, and I don't see God at work. There's no way he's doing anything about this. I think one of the reasons why that's the case is because oftentimes when we think about Christianity, when we think about our faith, we think, well, I'm now a Christian, and now I, God can get rid of all my pain and discomfort, all my embarrassments. I'd rather skip, skip that part. And everything is great and awesome and, you know, beautiful church services. I feel the high. We'd rather skip all the pains and the disappointments that we, we often experience. And I think what happens there is that we prefer a God that plays under our own rules. Is that we want God to be our genie in the bottle. And whenever... Whatever I want, whatever I need, I can just rub it, and he comes out and gives me all the gifts, right? All the blessings that I've asked for, all my prayer answered. Uh, one author writes about this. It talks, it, she talks about the American entitlement, which I, I think has kind of uh, been fused and morphed into our faith, is that we all feel we're entitled to the best life, to a life that's successful, to a life filled with pleasure. We all feel entitled to this American dream, which now we, we, we have morphed into Christianity. That if I work hard, I deserve the best. If I go to the best school, I must have the best job. Right? If I come out of college, I must have a wife or a husband. Like, we all have this idea of what our life should be. But God has a different plan for us. Secondly, I think another thing that happens is that because of, the, of, of life's struggle, life's pain, we often resent God. And for some of us, we actually just turn away from God because, yeah, this is this is not what I expected. I thought life as a Christian should be better. And some of us might harbor like suspicions of God. Like, no, maybe he doesn't really want the best for me. So I must seek my best for myself. Um, I, I came across this by an author. He says, like, life is not a series of random events. Yeah, right. Your family background, your education, your life experiences, even the most painful experiences of your life oftentimes are all there to equip you to some work no one else can do. So the way we experience pain and disappointment sometimes is God trying to equip us with something no one else 
in this world can ever do. But you know even what's better than that? You know what the good news is in this story? Is that we oftentimes think that, especially in this story, that the the scandal is in in this story, we think it's Mary and Joseph. We think it's, oh, the fact that she was pregnant and Joseph wanted to leave her. Oh, wow. We think that's the scandal. We think the scandal is the struggles that we go through, the pain that we have to endure. But what we look in this story, the true scandal in this story is actually God putting on flesh. The true scandal in this story is the fact that the divine becomes mortal. The creator becomes the creature. That God steps into time and space to meet with us. That is the true scandal in the story. I mean, imagine for a second, just imagine, Jeff Bezos, you know, richest guy in the whole world. I, I think he's the richest or second or whatever, one of those. But, you know, he's like owner of Amazon. Imagine for a second he decides to give away all of his wealth. He gives it all away. And, you know, his mansions, his money, everything, gives it all away and decides to be a computer engineer in one of his offices. Right? He's working with you. He's one of your coworkers. Imagine that happening. That's unheard of. Probably will never happen, right? Most people would think he just had a mental breakdown. That's what Jesus did. But even more, because he is the creator of the universe, and he actually stepped into our world to be one of us. That is the true scandal in this story. And I think that's one thing that makes Christianity so compelling. Because here we have a God who says, I am not ashamed. I'm okay with the humiliation. I will be one of you. Scandalous. It's something we don't expect. I would say it's probably something we don't even want. Jesus in this story is the hero we don't expect, but he's the hero we actually need. Charles Spurgeon says this. It says, when the eternal stooped from heaven and assumed the nature of his own creature, who had rebelled against him? The deed could mean no harm to man, because God in our nature is not God against us, but God with us. That's the thing about God coming into our world, is that in him putting on flesh, it actually uh, demonstrated that God did not come to condemn any of us. He did not come to be against us, but he actually came to be with us. And that right there is the, the scandalous made into the salvation for us. That as God put on human flesh, he chose to bring salvation to us. Because in order for humanity to find his way back to God, God had to find his way back to us. God put on flesh to save us from our sins. You know, one of the problems we have with that, um, like, you know, I gave you that analogy of Jeff Bezos being one of, one of, 
his people, right? Oh, God being one of us. Like, it's, it's kind of a, I think for most, most of us, we don't think of heroes being that way, right? We think of heroes being powerful. We think of heroes having either some, um, you know, massively intelligent, massively powerful. Um, we don't think of a hero becoming weak or becoming like us. And even for the first century church, for or, uh, first century people, when they heard, oh yeah, when Jesus would claim that he is the Messiah, they would say, no, but you're not strong enough to take over the Roman Empire. We, we, want, we need a warrior. Right? That's how we think of heroes. When we think of the, the folk, tale, folk tales, of, uh, of, you know, the hero tales, we think of a hero who's powerful. For us, we think of a hero who's, who's wise and and, and smart, right? Like the, the idea of putting on flesh, dying on a cross for us sounds foolish. doesn't make sense. But here's why we need a God in human form. Uh, there, there's the scene in, in The Hobbit. It's not in the book, <laughs> um, but it's in the movie. <laughs> so um, don't, you don't have to research it, but... In the, in the movie, there's a scene, and uh, if you've watched the movie, the, uh, the dwarves, um, Gandalf have, has uh, set up a team, mostly dwarf, dwarves, to go uh, back to their home in a mountain, I forget what the mountain is called, to defeat Smug the dragon, because dragon had taken over their, their, their home, their money, their wealth, and and Gandalf is asked, asked this question, why would you choose a hobbit to be part of this team? Like, he doesn't, he's not a warrior. He's not powerful. He's, you know, he just wants to be in, his, you know, in the Shire, in his home. He just wants to be at home eating and hanging out with friends. He's not a warrior. Why, do you, why did you choose him? And he said this. He said, some people believe that it takes great power to hold evil back. Some believe it only takes only great power that can hold evil in check. This is probably the best scene in the movie, I think. But that is not what I found. It's actually the very small deeds of ordinary folk that keeps darkness at bay. We think that is the all-powerful, strong person, the all-wealthy that, that should be the one to save us. But it was actually Jesus who comes in weakness. God in weakness comes to save us. And in doing so, he actually reveals to us, he demonstrates to us, again, I haven't come to condemn you. I haven't come to overthrow you. I haven't come to, to harm you, but I've actually come, come to be with us. And then secondly, this, why it is significant for us is this, is that, and, and this is the significance of, of our faith, is that it teaches us that what we have to do, um, that for, sorry, I should say this this way, the significance for us is that every other religion tries to teach us what we have to do in order, in order to be with God, right? We're giving rules and, 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 and regulations of what we need to do to be with God, 
But as Christians, we celebrate all that God has done for us in order for, for, um, for him to be with us. We celebrate what God has done, not what I have done. We celebrate what God has done. And even outside of religious context, there is no stronger words that you can hear from anyone than someone saying, I'm with you. There's no other strong word that you can hear. You know, like, I mean, think about it for a second. Whenever you find yourself, again, in despondency and in disappointment and sadness, if, if someone tries to give you an advice, what do you do? Just like, you ignore them. And you probably would not share any of your heartaches to them any, again. Because that's not what you need. You need someone to say, no, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm with you. It's comforting to hear that. Because you want someone who is locked in with you. You want someone who actually can be there to maybe even cry with you. To be sad with you. To feel as you're feeling. This is the very essence of God with us. Is that Jesus comes into our world. And even the writer of Hebrews says he empathizes with us. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted. So he knows the troubles that we experience. He, he knows the sadness and the disappointments that we experience. During this Christmas season, God proclaims to us, I am with you. And this, this Advent, this Christmas season, again, proves the length that God is willing to go just to be with us. And you might be here. I don't know what. You may be struggling with something. You may not be. The truth is, you will struggle with something. And the sad part about Christmas is oftentimes Christmas can cover up the sadness, the disappointments that we may be going through. That in all the busyness, in all the hustle and, and the nice bonus checks that we're receiving, that oftentimes they can actually cover and hide the void that we may be feeling inside. But God is calling us to vulnerability, to kind of this redemptive vulnerability so that he can actually um, heal, go deep within the crevices of our heart and tell us, I am with you. This is the hope that we have. This is the thing that fulfills all our longings. This is the thing that satisfies all of our, um, uh, our longings. I am with you. That is what God says to us. Even as the worship team comes, would you join me in prayer as we pray and reflect the very fact of what Jesus has done for us as he says he is with us.